If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. You know, um, you know, as I was thinking on what to share with you, because we come out of a series that are pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, and you're seeing this 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 thought that God had in mind, and you see it tracked down through the ages, and um, of which only God can do is being able to present something over hundreds and hundreds of years and it all be the same and it all be heading down to a point. And, and so normally what I do uh, in the summertime uh, is I pick out, a, I pick out a, a character out of the Old Testament, right? And, and we just walk through a different character and whatever it is. But this year we're gonna do something different. We're gonna do, uh, we're gonna do the book of Romans, okay? The book of Romans. And, and, and let me tell you, first of all, what it's not going to be. It's not going to be a verse by verse. There's no way. I did that. I've done that a couple of times. I've never really done it here totally. But I mean, I think the last time I did it, it took me 14 months, I think. Uh, just because the book of Romans is, is an incredible thing. And, uh, but the, the reason for the book of Romans is it was writing. Paul was writing to the new church, the new believers in Rome, which was the most important city of its time. And, um, <clears throat> and the church had begun there. And so Paul kind of wrote them, not just a letter, but he wrote them a, a, a really a, a, almost a, a, a paper, right? Just so that they would always know what the gospel was. So the purpose for the book of Romans is to explain what is the gospel. And the great part about it is is I am looking forward to sharing that. I'm gonna give you a big picture. It won't be exhaustive. If you wanna do a verse by verse or do something, then you get part of a class or something that, that teaches. But this is gonna give you not a microscopic view, but a, but a big picture look. Because I am convinced that the, when you look at the book of Romans and it's teaching on who Christ is, what he came to, which is what the gospel is. And I've always wanted to do something. I've always wanted to have something that people could always remember what is the gospel. If I was to ask you, what is the gospel? If somebody outside here, if you're a believer and they ask you, what is the gospel? First of all, the gospel means good news, but what is it? And it's very simple. You can remember who Christ is and what he came to do. That is the gospel, right? Who Christ is, he was God with us and, and, and God in the flesh is what Emmanuel means, right? And because of who he was, he was able to do what he came to do, which was down a cross to be able to offer forgiveness, right? Uh, to be able to forgive sins and things like that. The book of Romans is about that, especially the first 10 chapters. And uh, when, you, when you take a look at, at this then picture, I just wanted just to walk you through it and give you a bigger picture of what that looks like, you know, and what the Bible says about it. Because I want you to understand that, that when you look at, I would say at least half of what we would call Christian denominations, right? Have gotten away from what the gospel really is as it is explained in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is very clear. You know, a lot of times, you know, as I, I'll go through and I, and I share it, and you're going to see, it's very clear. I'll share the book of Romans and you'll say, well, you know, well, well Jeff, that's your opinion or that. It's not. It's that's your interpretation. It's not. It's as clear as it comes. You'll see. When the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, how else can you interpret that? You know, think about it. If it says nobody is righteous, then well, that's your interpretation. I, you know, I think that just becomes an excuse. So here becomes, I just want you to see it. I have no desire for you to, th to get what I think. I just don't, I've never had. But I, I, I've learned that if you can equip people with what God's word says, then it's something that can make a difference, right? I'm not, again, I'm really not interested in, in you thinking like I think, I'm just, interested in you understanding it. And the book of Romans is that kind of a book, right? Uh, <clears throat> if I was stranded, okay, on a desert island, I've said this before, right? And I could only have one book, it would be the Bible, obviously. But if I could only have one book of the Bible, it would be the book of Romans. And if I could only have one chapter of the Bible, it would be chapter eight of the book of Romans. And we're gonna get to that in a few weeks because it is so clear 
in its explanation of, of this whole thing about who Christ is. And it really dovetails great into more like of a teaching thing after we've seen these pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and jump into it. We're gonna cover a whole lot of ground today. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna blow through uh, uh, several chapters and look at an overview, and then we'll slow down in chapters four through 10. But in verse, we're, gonna, we're gonna blow through the first three chapters, and you'll see why that I'll do that. Therefore, we're not looking for the microscopic view, we're looking for the bigger, the bigger picture, okay? Now, so the title today is what I'm gonna call the gospel for the world. And the, and the main thing today, okay, the main subject for today is going to be sin, okay? S-I-N, sin. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a word that most people um, and in fact, that's what's so incredible. Most people in our culture, you know, don't even believe it anymore. Well, if you even ask them what is sin, they would say, oh, it's some religious thing. They don't even know why, because in our culture, we've kind of done away with anything that's called wrongdoing, right? You know, there's no really such thing as sin. It's, it's you know, yeah, some people make mistakes and, you know, and, you know, we all make them and we make them. No, 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 that's not what the scripture teaches. I'm gonna, I want you to understand because it is as clear as it gets in the first three chapters, okay? And again, I think a lot of the reason, because I, sometimes I have people ask me, you know, you know, in especially, or you, or you see it in, in written papers, or you see it in different things, that people ask the question, you know, you know I, don't, I don't see why Jesus died on the cross. And, and the reason is, is because if you don't understand sin, then you will never understand why Christ died on the cross. It will be something that you never get. It will never make sense to you, okay? But if you do understand the concept, the sinful concept, then, then it makes the good news really good. So today is going to be about a whole lot about bad news, all right? But guys, this is why people don't get the big deal about who Christ is and what he did. They just don't get it. They won't ever get it. Because until you understand how bad the bad news is, the good news will never look that good. Does that make sense to you? So we're gonna take the time today, the whole time. This is why I'm not gonna take four weeks to cover the first three chapters. Because I think we would, you know, we, you know, we would all be in the depths of depression if I took four weeks to explain what we're, you'll see it, because it's tough. These words are tough. The indictment on who we are, but also our culture is tough. But it, but it makes the good news really incredible. You'll see it in just a second. So that's where we're going today. I'm gonna to go ahead and jump in. Uh, there's some verses of introduction in chapter one, verses one. I can't stay here long. I've stayed here too long and, and it's, it's made me go a little bit late. So I'm just gonna blow through these a little bit just to kind of give you a feel. Paul, chapter one, verse one, says, Paul, uh, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Remember that apostle is different than disciple. We're all disciples because a disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ, but an apostle was one of the original 12 that God made a lot of promises to that Christ said, and, and, and remember that that, uh, that that was a big deal. I just don't have time to talk about it now. He said he was set apart for the gospel. Therefore, God had given him a job and his, his main responsibility was to share this gospel, this good news with those who weren't Jewish. Although it didn't mean he skipped those who were Jewish, but, but he was the gospel to the Gentiles, which is basically he shared the gospel with the Gentiles. It says, which he had promised beforehand through the, uh, through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So what is the gospel? The gospel is something that's been promised a long time. You see what it says here, promised beforehand? That's the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. That's including those. So this is not something God just came up with. This is not something that just, just came onto the scene when Jesus came on the scene. No, this is something, this is God's plan down through the ages, for those of you who have ears to hear, all right? So it was concerning his son, who's a descendant of David, according to the flesh, right? And what it's talking about that is according to the, the flesh, as far as the human part of who, of who he was. Take a look at verse four quickly. Just so, just again, we're just about done with this. And was declared to be the son of God in power, Okay, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we, through whom we have received, uh, um, 
Grace. Grace is the key, okay? Grace is the picture. Grace is the foundation. Grace is the theme of the entire Bible. It's understanding that how is a person, how is a person made right with God? And I want you to understand when I say, because that's a bold statement to say, and I know that it is, that at least half of Christian churches, denominations that call themselves Christians, don't follow this thought about grace. Yes, they teach grace, but it's not exclusively grace, as the scriptures do teach, and is that it's just so blatantly taught in the book of Romans. But what is grace? Grace is a gift you don't deserve. Now, here comes the great question. What is it that makes a person right with God? Okay, and I want you to understand there's only one answer. According to what all these years I've studied through the scriptures, there's only one answer. There's only one thing that makes a person right with God, and that's what Christ did at the cross. Period. Nothing else. No religious rituals you have to go through. No class to take, right? Those are all good things. Some rituals are good things. I'm not doubting them, but they don't make you right with God, right? You know, some classes or catechisms, some of them are good things, but they're not what make you, makes you right with God. There's only one thing, one thing, not all the good works in the world are gonna make you right with God. There's only one thing that makes a person right with God, and that's what Christ did at the cross. And the reason Christ could do what he did with the cross was because of who he was. And that's why you hear me say all the time, because of who Christ is and what he came to do, right? If you get those pieces, then you understand that Paul was called to share this with other people. So let's jump right into the message itself, into some of the things. Okay, number one, first thing I want you to see is the power of the gospel. My life verse, okay? And I've been a believer now since I was 21. And I'm, I'm, I'm 29 now, so I've been a believer for eight years. <laughs> Why don't you laugh? I don't get that, all right. No, I've been a believer now for a long time, okay? And I, 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 this has been a life verse since I first became a believer. I was so excited. I, would, I was a religious kid. I say a religious kid. I, I grew up going to church. I wouldn't call myself religious, but I went. And so when I became a believer at 21, I was just so thrilled because I finally understood what this whole thing was about and it had changed my life. And so my life verse was Romans 1.16, okay? And it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Therefore, Lord, now that I've understood, this is what I thought of when I kind of chose this verse and it's followed me around all of my life. Um, God, I finally understood who you are and, and the love you have for me and, and what you did when you sent me your son and the difference it's made in my life. And so Christ, if you died on a cross for me, then how in the world could I be ashamed of you in front of others? Does that make sense to you? So it became a great verse. Therefore, it doesn't matter to me what they do to me, or at least I hope that's the case. It doesn't matter if I don't get included in on these circles, or I don't get this promotion, or I don't get to do this or that. I am not gonna deny, okay? I just, I'm gonna say I don't want to. It's become a passion of mine. I'm going to be his. When it's good and when it's bad. When it's beneficial and when it's not beneficial. Why? Because I'm not ashamed. Because of what it's done for, in my life and what it will do for my life for an eternity. Think about it. It is a remarkable thing. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Okay, for salvation. Now, if I can put some things certain ways, I think it'll help you understand. But don't fly off, you know, and think I'm saying something I'm not saying, you know. You'll see what I mean, right? What the gospel is, is that it empowers God to do something. And some people would say, well, God can do anything. Kinda. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Okay, let me tell you this. God cannot overlook your sin. That's something he can't do, right? Does that make sense to you? So he can't just say, oh, it's not a big deal, I'll overlook it. Why? Because he's just and he will not go against who he is. So there are certain things he can't do, or at least 
because of who he is, won't do. I, again, I feel strange saying he can't do it, but you understand what I mean. He can't overlook it. Therefore, he had to do something in order to give him the strength to be able to not just not overlook it, but to deal with it, to pay for it, okay? That becomes the picture. So the gospel then is the power of God to salvation to everybody. That's the reason I love this verse. I'm not gonna be ashamed of the greatest thing that God could ever do for us, right? To everyone who believes. Therefore, you can't earn it, deserve it. You can't have a, a, you know, a good enough family to inherit it. It is a gift, right? And the only way to get into your life is through faith, okay? So it's all wrapped up there in that one little verse. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So Romans starts out, you know, some introduction in the first, but then verse 16, Paul just starts right into it and says, listen, I'm not gonna be ashamed of this because this is what it is and this is what it does. Okay, good. He goes on to say to everyone who believes, that is everybody in the room. Therefore the gospel is for everybody in the room. It is meant for everybody, okay? It says to the Jew first and then to the Gentile or the Greek. Why to the Jew first? Because they received the promises and the Messiah Christ, obviously, the gospel was sent to them first and then it came to all of the rest, right? Now look at verse 17, for it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So in what? The gospel. I've learned the book of Romans, you can understand so much more about it if you ask yourself questions as you read it. So it says, for in it, what is it? The gospel. So for in the gospel, okay, God's righteousness or the righteousness of God, stop. What is the righteousness of God? Those are such churchy words that you read past and you don't think long enough to understand, okay, what does that mean? What is the righteousness of God? That is means, it means being right. Or sometimes it'll say just. Right and just are many times used interchangeable. What does it mean to be right? Well, it just means to be right. The righteousness of God means to be perfect. So there's a difference between what we would call self-righteousness or human or manned righteousness, righteousness of man, and God's. God basically is righteous, that is, he's perfect. So when you think about a righteousness of God, you're talking about being perfect, which none of you are. Shock of all shocks. And if you think you are, I don't wanna hear about it. Does that make sense? All right, good. So for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Therefore, right, as it is written, the righteous, that is those who are right or perfect, shall live by faith. You see that phrase? That phrase that's in quotes, change the world, right? And you say, well, you know, Jeff Gospel. No, 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 no changed the world. There was a time in the 15th, 1500s, there was a time when the, the world in which we live, at least of those who are believers, those are Christians, had gotten so far away from the gospel that it wasn't even recognizable. In fact, it had gotten so bad that it had gotten down to maybe just 1% of those who called themselves Christian truly understood what the gospel was. And, and the church had relegated, which it happens today, it had relegated into people telling you, here's what you have to do in order to be right with God. And usually there was a whole lot of list, there was a whole list of things, which included a lot of giving of your money, right? And it got really ugly. And there was a monk who constantly beat himself up because he, he didn't think he was doing everything good enough. He would abuse himself, you know, make, cause himself pain because he thought that would make him a better person. And he would do all the lists of things they told him to do, but he always continued to walk around with guilt. And then one day they decided to send this monk to school because at the time, nobody had a copy of the scriptures. It was written in Latin, and only a handful of people could actually read it. Well, they sent him off to school to teach him Latin, and he began to read it. And he came across this verse. Can you put it back up there? 
And the translation of it, the righteous shall live by faith, or the just, either one, the just will live by faith. In other words, what is it, he began asking himself the question, what is it that makes a person right with God? And all he'd ever known was all the list of things you do, right? Penances and paying money for indulgences and all the ugly, ugly things that the gospel, quote gospel, had relegated down to. And then it dawned on him. Everybody is not teaching what the Bible says it means to be right with God. And that verse, and the man's name was Martin Luther, right? You maybe have heard of him, not Martin Luther King, all right? The guy Martin Luther King was named after, all right? He began to think, wait a minute, the gospel is a gift that you can't earn, deserve, or buy, or, or live good enough to have. It's a gift, and it can only be received by faith. And believe it or not, that started the, what we would call the Reformation when people started understanding, oh, amazing what happened. It's found right here in Romans, obviously. So, so number one is the, is the power of the gospel. Number two is the need of the gospel. Now, <clears throat> within the next few minutes, this is where it gets ugly. Because, and, and boy, I can't tell you what I'm about to tell you. It is so politically incorrect, okay? that some of you that are very politically correct, you're gonna stand up and walk out, all right? And some of them are going <clears throat> Or some of you that are at home watching on the internet, you're gonna turn it off, why? Because it, this is the reason that people don't understand the gospel, is because they don't understand what I'm about to tell them, right? But you've got to hear it. This is not my idea, right? This, is, this comes straight from the scriptures and what the gospel is. So let's walk through it. Why, why, why did Christ have to come? Why did he do what he did? Because there wasn't any other way. If there was any other way to be right with God other than Christ coming and doing what he did, then why did Christ come? Why didn't you just do the other way, right? If you could follow the lists or you know, if you could do these things, these things, these things, you know. And I want you to understand that comparison is what really causes you to believe a lie, causes all of us to believe a lie. I can't tell you the number of people that, that you, you find people to compare yourself with and you think, well, I'm not near as bad as most. But when you understand what God's requirement is, which is righteousness, right? That is his requirement. You'll see it, it's, it's powerful. And there's no way to miss it if you want to know, right? If you truly want to know, it's all here. It says in Romans chapter one, verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and uh, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, okay? Who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. So what is the truth that's being suppressed? Well, it's this picture of sin, right? Because whenever sin is done away with, then the purpose for who Christ is goes away. You can't even explain any, any reason, right, of why he was here. So you have this picture. What is, what is the wrath of God? Well, wrath is, is, is judgment. Therefore, when you look at the whole justice thing, and you understand that when somebody is unjust, that is, they break the law, then a judge is there to punish those who break it. Therefore, a judge is considered just when he meets out the right punishment to those for what they've done wrong. And the judge fails to be just if he lets them go. Does that make sense? So we have then this picture of justice. And then because of who God is and his creative, you know, and you'll see that in just a minute too, all right? Do you have this picture? Now, he goes on to talk about here, in this particular case, he goes on to talk about is that everyone is without excuse. That is, which is number one, without excuse. What do you mean? Well, people are bad about this, all of us. That when we've got something we know that we're doing wrong, we'll come up with an excuse sometimes even beforehand. This is what I'll say if somebody finds out or if I get caught. 
And it's usually some excuse that you think, oh, well, that'll work, right? But I want you to understand is that you're dealing with God who knows everything. And the scripture says that nobody will have an excuse on that day. Now, again, the next 10 minutes are gonna be really, really tough because Paul goes into some, some real heavy truth, right? So it says, basically it's as if what can known be about God is plain to them. In other words, God says he hasn't hidden who he is. He says, you can plainly see it by everything around you. You can plainly see it because everything around you has been created and wherever things have been created, there was a creator. Again, the thought here in this particular passage is if you, if you again, I love the phone part. If you find this phone out in the desert, right? This one, right? And you find it in the desert or find it buried in the desert, right? Your first response is, wow, okay? But your first thought is not, wow, over billions of years, this thing became this on its own. That's not what you thought, why? Because when you come across a phone, you come across a thought of somebody really smart put this together. That's your first thought. It is, it has to be your first thought. So when you, what he's saying here, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God showed it to them. What he's saying here is, is that all you have to do is look at the creation and know that there was a creator. So there's no excuse that you can't understand that God exists or that he, or that he is in, in, in who he is, right? It says, for the invisible attributes, okay, namely his eternal power and divine nature can be clearly seen or perceived ever since the creation of the world, right? Right? He says, in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So remember, there's not going to be an excuse. You won't stand before God one day and say, well, I just didn't know. That, that, that's what Paul is saying here. Hard to hear, but it is the truth, right? So for although they did not know God, all right, for although they did know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their, in their thinking and their, in their futile hearts, or if you will, foolish hearts, uh, uh, basically became, uh, became darkened. That is, they couldn't see. So they became willingly blind to the obvious in front of them. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, I've, I don't like where that leads me. Here, here I do wanna say this. Anybody, anytime, no matter where you live in this world that has a desire to know the God that created you, God will move heaven and earth. God will move heaven and earth to make sure you know if you want to know. Literally, I say this all the time. I've just, most people I run into just don't want to know because they think somehow by their lack of knowing that somehow they'll have an excuse. But I want you to know here it says you don't have an excuse. It's a powerful thing to think about. So they claimed to be wise, they became fools. I can't tell you that the wisdom that is the incredible genius of my childhood, the genius today laugh at the geniuses of my childhood. Does that make sense? Because so much of what they said was cutting edge knowledge was a joke. And probably in the next 60 years, some of you that are teenagers right now, when you get to be my age or a lot older, they'll be laughing at the science of today. Right, does that make sense to you? So therefore, it's an amazing thing. They claim to be, they claim to be wise that they wind up becoming foolish. And they, they exchange the glory and, and, and the immortal God for, for images representing that which has been created. You know, birds, animals, creepy things, whatever. So what he's saying is, is that they begin to worship that which is created as opposed to the one that created all of it. Interesting. Now, so number one, there's no excuse. Number two, it's what I'm gonna call sinful pursuits. And it gives us a couple of thoughts here. Therefore, those who live their lives to gratify themselves. And then it switches gear and gives a picture in chapter two, which makes it so hard about those who are more self-righteous, 
right? They, they live mostly morally and they just think that God's gonna make an exception for them because they at least outwardly live morally. But let's go to number two because sinful pursuits is a hard one to hear, right? And this, are, this, is, this it gets ugly, but I want you to hear it. It says, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity and they dishonored their bodies among themselves for that, for, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Okay, Jeff, that's a mouthful. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Uh, basically, he's talking about sexuality here. All right, what is the truth about sexuality, marriage, in God's eyes? All right, well, let's talk about it. I mean, again, just want you to hear it. Well, the, the truth about it is, is that God has intended sexuality to be within marriage. All right, well, why would he do that? Because Sexuality is the joining, obviously, man and woman, and then the possibility of children that result, will result. And obviously before science, there was no birth control and everything. So God put all this and made all this together. And, and there's this incredible family that's born from it. Now, obviously it's been messed up royally since then. In fact, we've even tried to deny that any of it matters. But that is the truth about marriage, sexuality, and family. But our world laughs at that. So we've exchanged the truth of God for what? A lie. And what is the lie? Oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, just sleep with anybody you want to. In fact, even go past that. If you take a look at verse 26 and 27, it talks about homosexuality. In verse 24, it talks about uh, heterosexual immorality. But again, one is not better than the other. It's amazing how some of those who who, who constantly condemn those that are homosexual have the same heterosexual sin in their own lives. How can you even say that? You'll see, because chapter two here in a minute talks about how hypocritical that is. You'll see it in just a minute. But here's the thought, guys. This is, this is God's truth, and it's easy to say, well, I don't want to believe all that. I want to do what I want to do. So you exchange the truth about who God is for a lie, and this is the example that's given right? Well, Jeff, I don't believe that. And fine. All right. Go do your plan. But if you want God's plan, it looks a little different, right? I've found that most of the time people will exchange knowing who God is so they can follow their own plan. It's tough to hear, right? But it is what the gospel is. If you wanted to see it, right? If you want to know what it is, so it goes on to where God finally just says he just gives up on them, right? So look at verse 28, it says, they did not acknowledge God, so therefore God gave them up to a debased mind. That is, if you're gonna go downhill, then just knock yourself out, go ahead. And, and then you end up wherever the road takes you. It's an amazing thing. And then he goes on, it's just, a, it's rough language, but he goes on, he says, and they were all filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice, envy, murder, you know, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Isn't that amazing that that's in that list? All right? Another message for another time. And foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So it... It talks about basically those who head down a path of I wanna do what I wanna do and whatever it takes to make me happy. This is what's talked about in chapter one. Now, chapter two changes gears. Now you might not wanna hear this, but it's, it's, chapter two is tough on you because it includes another group of people. And I call these the self-righteous. These chapter two are the people that look at the people in chapter one and somehow think they're better than them. Hear it, guys. It's what it says, if you want to know, right? Look at verse one. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. Therefore, when you pass judgment on another, uh, you condemn yourself. Interesting. And yet some verses in the end of chapter one are used so often by people to condemn others. 
And yet you fail to read chapters two, one, and two. It's a powerful thing to think on. He says, we know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But he goes on to say, but do you suppose that you who judge those who practice such things and yet you do them themselves, right? That you will not escape the judgment of God. What's he talking about? Well, Jesus, we're talking about in this particular case, Paul's talking about those who are Jewish, especially the Pharisees that Jesus had such a hard time with. Yes, outwardly they had morality, Outward, they looked like they lived good, but Jesus said that they were like, they were like painted over, you know, gravestones. So here becomes the picture, all right, is that it's not about, you know, these Pharisees, they could say, yeah, I've never committed adultery, but I can't say that I've never wanted to. And if you gave them the opportunity to commit adultery and and promised them they'd never get caught, they probably would. Does that make sense? So it's not so much of an action thing, it's it's a hard thing. And so chapter two is devoted to saying, guys, just because you've not done some of these things, it doesn't mean that you don't need who Christ is. It's an amazing picture. My former pastor used to put it this way. Now you have to think on this one a while. He says, the worst form of human badness is human goodness when it becomes a substitute for the new birth or for what Christ did at the cross. So whenever we think that because of our own goodness, you know, it makes us better than everybody else, we deceive ourselves. And it becomes worse than doing what they do in chapter one. Are you hearing me? It's an amazing thing. If you truly say, that is what that says, you will give up being condemning and critical and judgment against other people. You will. If you truly understand chapters one and two and how they end in verse three, in chapter three, you won't be near as hard on other people, right? Because you'll see your own self. It's an amazing thing, right? And that is what chapter two And the rest of chapter two talks about, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about it, but again, there's just not, there's not a whole lot of time, right? Take a look now um, in chapter, uh, look at verse 17 of chapter two. It says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. So see, you had these Jewish people that basically said, well, we live perfect lives. And that's what Paul's talking about. And, uh, and they know his will and they approve of his word. That is what's excellent, you see it. Because you are instructed in the law. Therefore, I know a lot about what God's word says. Basically, he calls them blind leaders of the blind, right? Right? And so you look on down and he says, he says, you who say one man is not committed adultery, but do you do it? In other words, in your own heart, it's still something you battle. Interesting. Interesting. All right, we've got to move on. We've got to move on. All right, take a look at number three. This is where I'll be done. But I do want to take a few minutes because I I want to get... (laughs) You see what I mean? I didn't want to spend three or four weeks on chapters one and two. I mean, I think we'd be... Oh, gosh. But you got to see the bad news. You got to see how... Who God's called, right? What God's called it to be. And then it brings us to number three, and this is how I'll close, but I don't want you to miss it. The number three is what I'm gonna call the impact of the gospel. You've got the power of the gospel, you've got the need of it. And then, you, and then you've got the impact. And underneath the impact is number one is, is, is that everyone needs it. I don't miss this. Chapter three, verse nine. It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? So he's talking about himself. Because see, the Jewish people at that time had a real arrogance that they knew it and they were, they were gods and nobody else's were. And Paul was trying to tell them, you don't realize that you're a sinner just as much as the, as the pagan Gentiles are. And that's why I said, are we Jews any better off? He says, no, not at all. He said, for we have already charged that all, all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Listen to me, guys. Well, that's your interpretation. Tell me how else you can interpret that. 
that there's none righteous, no, not even one. Nobody. That is, there's never been anyone who's ever lived who is right with God because he's been a good person. I'll go on to put it this way. If you were to take all of the goodness out of every person had ever lived and you put it all into one person, that person would still need Christ. Does that make sense to you? Is that there's none, nobody that's right with God, right? There's none righteous, not even one, all right? So that helps you understand then why we come to the need for who Christ is, right? So number one, all, all of us need the gospel. Number two is the role of God's law. I wanted to throw this in here just quickly, but Jeff, then why does God even give us commands and rules, right? If none of us can ever follow them, well, it's to show us that we can't do it. Read, read it. Again, I'm just giving you snapshots here in Romans just for you to grasp what he's talking about. Look at verse 19, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, okay? And so that every mouth will be stopped and that the whole world can know that it has accountability somewhere. Innately in your heart, even if you're an atheist, innately in your heart, you know that one day everybody is gonna have to answer somewhere to somebody. Everybody has that feeling inside. I mean, I've even heard atheists say, you know, you know, I wouldn't want to have to be them and have to answer for all that they've done. And I just want to, I, I don't, I'm always nice. I always look back and say, answer to who? But all of us know that, right? And here we go. Everybody's accountable. So the reason for God's law is to know that you are accountable. Look at verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will ever be justified in, the, in God's sight. Listen to this. You will never, no one will ever be right with God because you followed the 10 commandments or you follow all the laws. It just is not ever gonna happen. Why? Because you're not good enough to do it, right? But he goes on to say that since God's commands, it shows us that we can't do it. It, shows, it gives us the knowledge that, that, that sin exists, right? Let me tell you what I mean. All right, I don't know about you, but some of us are a bit worse than others. I'm just, I'm a bit pretty bad. I, what, what is this that lives in us? I remember when I was not a believer, that one of the quickest ways you could get me to do something was to tell me that I couldn't do it. What is it in that says, Jeff, okay, you can't, and all of a sudden, there was something inside of me that, that longed to, to be a part of it. You know, I told y'all, told y'all the joke I had, you know, I don't know, this has been seven or eight years ago, is that <laughs> this, is, this is how bad the sin that lives in me, I see it. And until you see it, it's called the knowledge of sin in the verse. Until you see it, you'll never see your need for Christ. But like one time I had to be on some, some pills and there were antibiotics. And down at the bottom it said, is that you absolutely cannot have grapefruit while you're taking this antibiotics. What was it? I mean, all of a sudden, I was craving grapefruits. <laughs> and I don't even really like them. Does that make sense to you? What is there that that's part inside of us? You know, so God's law only shows us that we can't follow it, right? Number three, and finally, this is where I'll close, but now you'll see some incredible things. Look at verse 21. Now, I just wanna walk through this slowly. I'm only gonna explain the terms. But it says here, this is the gift of God's grace. So when you understand sin, you understand accountability that you have because of your sin, you understand, that, understand that, that any breaking of any law requires punishment to happen. Then you understand this grace concept. And he explains in these few verses what we're gonna take the next six weeks, seven weeks to talk about. Paul takes chapters four, five, six, seven, and eight 
all basically talk about this thing called grace and what it means. And it goes a little deep in its explanation. And it's a whole lot of fun to, to, un, to see and to understand, oh, the depths of the riches of God's grace, right? But in this particular passage, it says, but now, the righteousness of God, what does that mean? That means being right, God-type right, right? Therefore, the righteousness of God has been manifested. That means it's been revealed, okay? That's apart from the law. That is, you can be right without following the rules. Why? Because you stink at that, all right? So how is a person made right with God about being right in and of himself or herself? And he goes on to say, but now the righteousness of God right, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law, uh, although the law and, and the prophets bear witness to it. What does that mean? That means that God's been saying this a long time. And that was our pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. The same story God's been talking about and giving illustrations of, painting pictures, right? It's, all based, it's always been there. In verse 22, it says, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. That means you can be right, right? When you're not right. Therefore, one has paid for it for you. And he says, therefore, there's no distinction. I love that little word, there's no distinction. That is, there's no favorites. That is, it's for everybody in the room. Everybody in the world. And then a verse that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've heard that one quite a bit. It's just a summation of everything we've talked about. Then look at this. And we are justified by his grace as a gift. What does that mean? What does the word justify mean? Well, you see the word just, that means being right. What does justify mean? Well, it's usually it's usually a negative word. We use it like this. Oh, well, he's just trying to justify himself. Well, what are we saying when we say that? We're saying that he's wrong and he's trying to make it look like he's right. So to justify is to take something that's wrong and make it right, right? So we are made right with God by grace. Guys, well, that's your interpretation. But no, it's what it says, right? And how is it that half of the Christian churches in our world today don't see that? And they start giving you lists of things to do in order to be right with God. They even have, for God's sake, some of them, you can pay for forgiveness. Lord, help us. What can you pay for to obtain that Christ couldn't pay for at the cross? I get a little excited about this, by the way, all right? Because it's as clear as it can be. And I will tell you one of the reasons that this is not taught is because how are you gonna guilt anybody into doing anything if you can't hold something over their head? How are you gonna get them to give to anything if you can't hold something over their head, let me tell you something. If you put your faith and trust in him truly, you are forgiven for free. Well, it wasn't for free because Christ paid for it, but does that make sense to you? <laughs> Guys, that's why it's called good news. If you understand how bad the bad news, there isn't any better news than this news. You're justified by his grace as a gift, in case you didn't catch it, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. What is redemption? Well, we talked about, that's why I did Ruth last week. Kinsman Redeemer. It explains the entire understanding of the word redemption. We don't have time to do it now. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. What's that word by, the, by his blood? Well, it has to, propitiation has to do with the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. You remember Indiana Jones discovered it back in 1980? Y'all remember, right? You know, well of the souls, all that kind of stuff. And so, but no, that, that's another picture of Christ in the Old Testament we didn't have time to talk about. All right, and then he goes on 25, this is show God's righteousness. Look at verse 26, we're all close. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, read real slowly here, 
so that he might be what? Just and the justifier. So both at the same time. How do you be both at the same time? It makes no sense until you understand who Christ is and what he came to do. You know, God had a problem if he can have a problem. God had a problem. And the problem was is that he loved you too much. <laughs> you know, I've thought many times as I've been studying these things down through the years, God, if I were you, I would have probably just wiped everybody out and started over because it's just really screwed up now. But see, God has a problem. And any one of you who have ever truly loved someone understands the problem is when you love them, it's just a different ball game. You'll do anything for them. Does that make sense? God had a problem. He loved you. And so he came up with a way and paid an incredible price so that the way could be extended to you. But it's not forced on you, right? It's not automatic. It's for your choice. That's why faith is required, right? So that he might be just, that is remain right, but also the justifier, that is make you right by everyone who puts their faith in who Christ is and what he came to do. All right, I gotta be done, I'm sorry. I went a little bit over. But here's the close, here's the thought, and I'm gonna be done real quickly with this. I just want you to see it because it's remarkable. Don't rely on what other people have told you about who Christ is or the gospel. Find out for yourself. That is what the book of Romans is all about. If there's never been a time in your life you put your faith and trust in him, there'll be some folks up here afterwards that love to walk you through it. Just come right up here afterwards and everybody else is leaving. They'll meet you up here. Love to, I talked to you about it. God bless you. Have a great, great Memorial Day. And, uh, and looking forward to, to the explanation of the just and the justifier, which is in chapters four to 10. All right, God bless. Let's all stand. We'll have a closing word of prayer. All right, Anthony, be quick. All right, I'm headed to the guest uh, reception. If you're new, please stop by and say hello. God bless. Have a great day. All right.